0: Thank you. To another, sorry, no podcast today. I'm your temporary host for today, AJ Schulte. Uh, we are missing some of our crew today, unfortunately. Uh, JP is having his uh, annual duel with an orangutan with a sword, Ghost of Tsushima style, so he will not be joining us today. Tyler is at AEW Dynamite as an actual participant, so unfortunately, you're stuck with me, Alex, and Kevin, unfortunately, is also here. However, making her show debut miss karina Baum is here with us um we're here to talk about some of the most recent coaching changes uh, a&m has been filled arkansas made the funniest offensive coordinator hire and you know, all these other jobs are opening coaching carousels in full swing but first we're going to get to each of our iso segments i will start with alex katzen
1: What's up? Um, Washington hired a general manager today. Um, the college football team, Washington, uh, they promoted director of player personnel, Courtney Morgan to general manager. Um, it's a position that's like started to become like more and more of a thing in college football as the transfer portal and stuff has opened up. But, um, The reporting on the time at the time was just basically like this is just getting Washington more in line with some Big Ten staffs and everything. Um, I think that having a general manager for a college team is really showing you that just like uh, you're basically running an NFL franchise at this point. I think you're going to start to blur the lines a lot more between like, oh, this guy's a college guy. This guy's an NFL guy. He can't go do the other thing. Uh, They're the same. They're the same.
0: You were close. You almost got to the 30 second mark. You were just on the twenty-eight. All right, we'll let Karina go next.
2: Um, Hi, guys. I'm super excited to be on the podcast. Um, I wanted to talk about the Caleb Williams statement that came out today that said that he thinks NFL draft will be a game-time decision, in his words, and not quite sure I understand the logic between people buying that. Um, I think we all know he's going pro. We've seen the relationship with Lincoln Riley seems to have deteriorated a little bit. And he's bound to be at least one of the top two picks. So I think I understand committing to your team for the rest of the year, but I think it's stupid to pretend that he's not leaving.
0: I will go next because we don't need to hear Kevin's for a little bit longer. Uh, I'm gonna, My statement is really quick and short. Uh, EPA is a team stat. Stop using it for quarterbacks. That's it. I, I think I think that conversation should be done and over with. Unfortunately, now we have to turn to Kevin. Uh,
3: so Michigan State, <clears throat> former Michigan State quarterback, rather, Sam Levitt is a general, generational hater. I can't talk today. Uh When he entered the transfer portal, he spoke to Michigan State's rivals page and just basically said that he's transferring because he doesn't have good relationships with Jonathan, Jonathan Smith because they didn't offer him in high school. And that's the only reason why he's transferring.
0: You have to respect it. Like you have to respect. Oh, I love it. I how love committed it. to the hate he 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 is. The, just the
3: the, ex- the exact quote is: "I don't know if I'm considering staying just with previous relations with this staff. I made my decision in terms of Michigan State. Being a hometown kid and not getting an offer from them felt disrespectful. So that's always stuck with me." I was I'm gonna sure say him, like
1: fair enough to him, he did like win the Oregon State Championship and as a senior in high school and still didn't get an offer. So like fine. But also that is generational hating. He is he he
3: was the number one quarterback recruit in Oregon, and Oregon State was like, Yeah, man, we don't want you. You're too good for us.
0: We'll just get DJU, man. <laughs> yeah. We'll just take a guy from Clemson over this guy in our backyard. <laughs> but going going speaking of Michigan State, we could probably just start there. Right. Jonathan Smith has been hired as the head coach of Michigan State, uh, pulling most of his assistants from Oregon State with him. Uh, Alex, you're a Pac-12 guy. I'll start with you if you don't, if you got some thoughts on it. Um, what do you think this leaves kind of Oregon State first off? Uh, kind of talk about Jonathan Smith there. And then what do you think this does for Michigan State?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Oregon State uh, is in an interesting spot now um they went ahead and just promoted trent bray the defensive coordinator to head coach full-time um i wanted to see them maybe be a little bit more aggressive in that coaching search and like maybe call like brent brennan at san jose state who's a name that we've mentioned on the show a couple times is like someone that should be in consideration for some of these bigger west coast jobs opening up um i understand the thought process behind elevating bray and just like trying to continue what you already have um with the smith tenure because like Really, Jonathan Smith is the guy that has brought this Oregon State program to national relevance. Like, before he got there, the most relevant season Oregon State had really had in our lifetimes was the Rogers brothers. And even that was, like, that team was fun, but they, like, didn't win the Pac-12 or anything. Um, And Jonathan Smith has really, like, elevated them to new heights, like, as a program. Um, I do think that there is a little bit of – Trepidation probably from Oregon State's end um, with not having a conference home for the foreseeable future. Um, obviously, they and Washington State just signed the scheduling agreement, or at least are finalizing the scheduling agreement with the Mountain West for next year uh, to at least like be able to play a full season. Um, and so I think that that probably played a little bit of a role in uh, in retaining Bray and just kind of like trying to move everything up. Um, I do think it'll be interesting to see how Bray builds that staff out because as you mentioned. Uh, Smith took basically the entire offensive staff with him Um, the I think it's the running backs coach the offensive coordinator the wide receivers coach and the O-line coach are all going to East Lansing with him Um, and so you're building out an entire new offensive staff um, with a guy who is really like primarily an Oregon State guy has really like only coach story and state as far as i'm aware um and so i'm kind of interested to see where he pulls from for that offensive staff um i think for michigan state this is about the best they could have done um again smith has brought this program to national relevance a program that like really has no like historic resources has no like historic success um obviously like their historic lack of resources is one of the reasons why they're stuck in the scheduling agreement with the Mountain West in the first place. Um, and now you put him in a spot where Michigan State maybe doesn't have the best resources of any school in the Big Ten because it's the Big Ten, but they're certainly up there. They got a lot of money to throw around. They got a lot, you know, they, they have a lot going for them as a program. And so I think you're really going to see Michigan State kind of get back into the national picture very quickly with him, um, especially bringing that entire offensive staff over. They're probably going to bring a decent chunk of the players over. Um, It depends, you know, there's been a lot of of tweets going around about the Oregon state players, maybe not so happy about Smith's comments um, about like, he knew that he was leaving for a long time. And it's like, interesting. Um, Probably not the best thing to say, Um, but it seems like at least a few guys will follow him over there. It seems like Aiden Chiles is uh, definitely thinking about it, if not uh, already, uh, already doing it. So I think it's, it's a great hire for Michigan state. I think that Oregon State has some things to figure out. I want to see what Bray's staff looks like before I kind of formulate my full opinion on, on elevating him from defense coordinator.
0: Yeah, and, and to your point, uh, kind of with the resources, I don't know if you saw, they they posted his uh, staff pool online, like all those details and everything. $10.75 million for his assistant pool, which is yeah, a crazy amount of money to be throwing that out is... of-
3: that is about the same that Elko is going to get a Texas A&M to build his staff and when you consider the difference in resources between Texas A&M and Michigan State like that is pretty damn major to have close yeah. to 11 million to build a staff in Michigan yeah. State
0: it like it it speaks to their uh, willingness to step up and be like you're going to get whatever we can give to you especially in this age where the money's starting to become more and more of a thing NIL collectives are starting to take this huge next step forward um kind of just to your point also with the with jonathan smith being like relevant like or building oregon state like michigan state has been in the dumps for for a long time like shout out yeah (laughs) like like this is not a very relevant program recently and they've been falling further and further behind michigan ohio state and even penn state and so now it seems like this hire with jonathan smith is trying to take them to that next level. Kevin, uh, you have some further thoughts on that.
3: Yeah. I think that for Michigan state, this is very much like they're hiring a program builder. They're hiring a guy who's done this before. And like, when you think about where Michigan state probably stands in the current big 10 setup, like with Washington and Oregon moving, like, I think we all probably agree that that job is not top five, probably not like top seven. And they need a guy who's going to come in there and likely do I, I didn't count. so it, they they may be top seven, but like i I think that like from a perspective of like what Michigan State needs to do, they need a guy who's going to get in there, recruit those guys who probably aren't committing to Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State. Like they're not gonna probably get recruiting battles with those teams, but they need to be able to steal the guys that are going to some of these other schools and keep them somewhat close to home. and that's what Jonathan Smith is going to do. I do think that, like, it doesn't sit well with me, at least, the way that Jonathan Smith handled the Oregon State situation. And I would have liked to see him probably be a little bit more transparent, but I – I mean, I get it. Like, you don't want to leave everything out, but I I think that there was probably some – I know people aren't happy. Like, Trent Bray was pretty damn open about, like, not being happy about how they handled it, so I – It will be interesting to see how that dynamic works. And then Trent Bray, I think as Alex mentioned, I need to just see the staff first before I give any real opinions on the hire because that's going to determine a lot about where they stand next year.
1: Um, Yeah, I think also Kevin just reminds me talking about uh, the Oregon State stuff. I do think that it's somewhat interesting that uh, Bray's comments to the team when he got elevated to head coach seem to indicate that he is not going to be the head coach for the bowl game. And it seems like he's not going to be with the team for the bowl game um, the, based on some of the things that he said, which is weird because like, he's still the defensive coordinator. I think um, they, they announced a different interim coach before they elevated him. It's wide receivers coach, Kefence Hinson. Um, and so I get like letting him uh, coach the bowl game, especially if you're trying to retain him as someone on staff. Um, Hinson is like one of their big recruiters. Um, on that staff. And so I get, like, in that sense, trying to retain him. I think that Bray is probably just going to spend the next few weeks trying to build out the staff and figure out, like, what the uh, roster is going to look like and do all that stuff and kind of, like, get them back into a good place administratively. Um, but it was kind of just, like, an interesting setup that I thought was worth mentioning. Yeah.
0: Speaking of, a, of an interesting setup, I um, touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think we're going to get right into this one. Uh, Arkansas has brought back Bobby Petrino himself to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, Karina, you, you are rather connected with a lot of the SEC fan bases, and this is kind of your bread and butter. Give me, like, the first thought. Like, what was your initial reaction to all this?
2: Hide y'all's wives. <laughs> <laughs> He's back. Um, I... Morals aside, if we're just talking ball, I kind of like the hire. It brings some fire back, some passion back to the Arkansas fan base, which has been very emotionally disconnected, I think, over the last couple of weeks. They feel like um, their coaching staff doesn't really have control of their program anymore, that it was this hot brand last year and just completely fell apart down the stretch. So I think this brings some energy back. What I'm interested to see from a coaching perspective is exactly how much rain Petrino gets, if they're just going to let him do everything because I was looking at some of his comments um, in his presser, and he mentioned that Jimbo Fisher wanted to keep all of his original offensive terminology. It seems like he was kind of stuffed in a closet behind Jimbo and kind of not given as much reign he may have wanted. So I'm interested to see if they cut him loose and what exactly he's able to do. I know they're losing their quarterback to the transfer portal. Sounds like he's gone. Um, Not sure what their options are or what kind of a quarterback they're looking for if they're looking for someone that's similar to KJ Jefferson or if they're looking for a more traditional, like West coast style offense going forward. Um, I'm kind of interested to see what direction he takes it, especially as the SEC expands. And now you have all these, you know, really innovative offenses like Oklahoma coming in, you have Texas coming in where you're going to need to score some points, you know? So I'm interested to see, you know, what his philosophy is going forward now that he's at Arkansas. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that.
3: So, like, my problem with this hire is not so much that they're making this hire. It's that they're making this hire after the way it ended. Like, this is not a guy who ended on good terms with Arkansas or their fan base. Like, he's become a joke in the SEC and, like, in the college football world. And they're just like, yeah, man, that doesn't matter. Come back. We really miss you. (laughs) Like, I just, like, so, like, there is some belief that Sam Pittman is sort of running out of time in Arkansas. And, like, I think we all agree that, like, this is probably probably his last shot of, like, saving anything and, like, salvaging a shot. Why is your hire, Bobby Petrino, if you are trying to salvage a spot? Uh, because that's not doing anything in terms of goodwill with any fans inside that program.
1: Yeah, and, like, to Kevin's point, like, make, like, I do think that schematically and, like, like Karina said, like, morals aside and everything, I do think that it's a somewhat interesting hire i mean like petrino had Connor weigman looking like a much better quarterback before weigman got injured at texas a&m obviously how much of that was actually up to petrino with the whole situation in texas and when jimbo is uh, uh you know a little bit foggy um but the optics of hiring this guy in a make or break season for sam pittman i think are rough in terms of, like, how much free reign he's going to get in Arkansas, it is in his contract that he gets $7,200 towards buying a car. <laughs> so,
0: you know. They, they really missed it. the opportunity for it to be a motorcycle, didn't they? Like, yeah. I mean, you had you yeah. had the opportunity to do the funniest thing in the world, and you missed it.
1: Yeah, but so he also do gets you guys a, want hear about club. the special provisions in Bobby Petrina's contract? Because I sorry. have it pulled up. Go for um, it. Up to eight to each Arkansas home game, up to a uh, meet, up to, and then there's not a number. So I guess it's infinite immediate family members, spouse and children to each Arkansas home game for other sports. Uh, 2000 mistresses.
0: Does it say
2: <laughs> how many uh, spouse
1: and children is all it says. Immediate family members. So unclear, okay. <laughs> unclear, um, $2,000 annually for a Nike elite allowance, whatever that means. Um, a club membership to the Fayette, Fayetteville Athletic Club or Paradise Valley Golf Course. He has to pick one. Um, And then $7,200 annually towards a car. Uh, so, those are the special provisions of Trina's contract separate from his salary. So
3: so I just want to ask, like if we are going to hire SEC coaches who were involved with staff members in areas outside of football, is Brian Harson the next hire or what's oh, the...
2: <laughs>
1: on runs back baby arkansas, arkansas
3: is 100%. just going to hire problem coaches this is the jimbo, jimbo fisher speed run but it's only problematic because they're all involving staffers
0: next is mel tucker um
2: <laughs> urban meyer baby just bring him home yeah billy napier's on the hot seat it's never too late
0: for <laughs> too late that's right if, if too bad tyler isn't here he would um like for me like to both Karina and Alex's point like schematic wise it, it kind of fits what Arkansas has always more traditionally wanted to do right a little bit more 12 personnel a little bit a little bit better running the ball because um, that's they have sucked at running the ball right especially especially this year under Dan Enos they were for a team that is led by a former offensive line coach with Rocket Sanders granted he did battle injuries but you also have KJ Jefferson they were horrible at running the ball, and so now you hopefully Bobby Petrino can kind of uh, keep track of that, can kind of bring them back a little bit more into that kind of split. But we did talk about Jimbo Fisher, so we could get now we're going to transition into the A and M job, which has been filled. Um, it was temporarily occupied by Mark Stoops for about an hour until Mark Stoops decided he was fine at Kentucky drinking all the whiskey. Um, Kevin, do you want to start off with your thoughts on Mike Elko? Real quick, the new before head Kevin gets into A&M. this,
1: I just want to say about the uh, Bobby Petrino thing. Uh, he's going to be doing a different kind of emailing students than Dan Enos was.
2: <laughs> Swipe left on Tinder if you scored more than seven points this <laughs> week.
3: I, I don't know how to recover from that and then start talking about Uh, quite literally the funniest thing I have seen in college football in a while of the fact that everyone started to report that it was Mark Stoops. And we were all like, okay, that's a pretty good hire. Like, you know, he's a good program builder. He's won 10 games at Kentucky of all places. And then suddenly in the span of about five minutes, it was like, well, actually no, he is going to stay at Kentucky and keep arguably the best job in sports because he gets paid nine and a half million dollars to win seven games pretty much like most years uh in terms of elko like i think that's probably the right hire for for texas a&m like without the whole mark stoop saga it is probably an a grade for the hire uh you know he has experience there but i the whole saga sort of doesn't sit well with me like it like dude this is how you're gonna handle the coaching search that is arguably your most important heading into the sec like i Okay, man. Just, just sure, man.
2: <laughs> I don't understand the Mark Stoops hate either. Like, he's put together such a decent program that has very limited resources. A team that was basically two and ten every single year. He took over the program. He bought some actual great players, and they produced some good NFL draft picks. The good Josh Allen came from Kentucky. I don't understand the like hatred or. Vit- like virtually from um, Texas A&M's fan base that thinks they're so above hiring Mark Stoops. I mean, how big is the gap between Stoops and Elko, really? And I don't blame Mark Stoops one bit for being like, you know what, they're going to throw money at me in a lifetime contract as long as I go seven and five at Kentucky or better. Why would I want to go to Texas A&M where if I don't win a national championship and I'm not beating Alabama and Georgia consistently, that they're going to get rid of me in two years?
0: It was it was kind of funny that uh, they paid $75 million to fire Jimbo Fisher, to just turn around and hire Jimbo Fisher's defensive coordinator from a couple of years ago. Um, and then they hired Mark Stoops, and then the Board of Regents said, no, we don't like Mark Stoops. And the fan base said, no, we definitely don't want Mark Stoops. So they just hired less experienced Mark Stoops, who has only really had the one... like good year at duke uh, granted they were better in 2022 than we thought but like 2023 was that initial year where we were like oh crap mike elko is really good at his job and, and to me i've kind of i i'm with mark stoops like he i think he would have hated the culture at AM. like mark stoops is a very laid-back dude i think all those uh, granted he would have had a lot more resources but they've not really been like a super hot recruiting team anyways um they've just been an excellent development program there so like in theory if you brought that to a&m that you that would do wonders because all they have is five stars like you get four and five stars you get a high blue chip ratio at texas a&m um and elko just does the same thing but he's already familiar with the a&m culture and so i think from that perspective like it's a really good hire to me, he just has to nail his offensive coordinator. Like he cannot bring back Kevin Johns because that offense was, was horrible to me. Like schematic-wise, right? Riley Leonard did oh, not yeah. get the opportunity to really fully showcase what he could do. And they just ran mesh. Like every third down, it was mesh. And I think that's boring. And you should go hire somebody because you're in Texas. You could go get anybody you want. Like Texas high school offenses are fun as hell. Go get anybody you want.
2: I think the recruiting thing is so, sorry, Alex, is so interesting because people knock Stoops' recruiting numbers for being in the bottom half of the SEC every year. Their competition in the Ohio Valley and Tennessee, that's incredibly difficult recruiting territory for a school that really doesn't have much resources to throw around when you're competing against uh, the University of Tennessee and all of the Big Ten in the Ohio Valley. So it's not that Mark Stoops can't recruit. It's just that he's never been given the option to recruit in a way that he would be able to recruit at Texas A&M. I don't think that's a fair knock on him at all.
1: Yeah. And then I guess like to, to AJ's point too, about like they, they, it came out that they were going to hire Mark Stoops and then the board of regents and the fan base and everything were like, no, we don't like that. And so then they went out and hired Mark Stoops, but has worked at A&M before is so deeply funny to me. Um, I also, <laughs> I also think that it's very funny that uh Kevin and I, uh solved Stephen godfrey's uh 20 year old clue about the mark stoops hire in five minutes you cannot not even know your game not not even five minutes it took us like three minutes yeah um which does lead me into an actual point which is that uh ross bjork stand up for yourself man what are you doing there your job is (laughs) your job is to just like get stomped on the whole time like your job is to just like be a figurehead and like get owned by the board of regents at every turn like what do you do man come on
2: that was such a horrible a- uh, ad hire for them in the first place that i kind of find it hilarious it's
3: it's weird because like ross bjork is trying and i think he wants to make these hires and then every time he makes these hires the board of regents who decide everything in that university let's be clear are just like yeah you know what we don't want that we, we, you know what? Fuck you. Like pretty much is like the equivalent of what they're saying, telling him, uh, excuse my language. Uh, I think the reason why Stoops didn't leave that leave Kentucky is not so much because it's like the perfect job in college football. It is uh, because he can win eight games and not do anything. I think the reason why he probably didn't go is because he saw the writing on the wall of like, they, Texas A&M has these incredibly high expectations and they want to be a national championship contender. And they have never proven that they can be a national championship contender. And so like, if you are going to take a job, and this is your big job, because like Mark Stoops going to Texas A&M would be his big job, his big break, maybe don't do it at the school that has incredibly high expectations that seem to be impossible to reach because Jimbo Fisher couldn't do it. Uh, Kevin Sumlin couldn't do it. Like, And these aren't amazing coaches, but... If they can't do it, who's to say that it's like a coaching problem and not a attitude culture problem within that program? It's like the Panthers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's David Tepper. Like, it's it's very do you, much a...
3: Do, do, do you think David Tepper's on the board of regents at Texas A&M?
0: Probably. Secretly? Probably. I, I hope so, yeah. And <laughs> to Kevin's point, like, if, if Mike Elko who the fan base and the board of regents like have gone out to basically pull. If Mike Elko can't do it, nobody can do it at that job. Like at this point, you have gone through so many candidates. You got the splashy hire, you got Kevin Sumlin, you got Mike Elko. And if Mike Elko, who is a phenomenal coach has turned around Duke, which is extremely hard to win at and turned them into, you know, more wins that they had had their, last few years under Cutcliffe and turn them around like he could if if he can't turn you around at Texas A&M then I don't think any coach possibly could
2: yeah I I was just thinking about like what Texas A&M thinks they are and like Texas A&M is the person that you think you're going home from the bar with at, after seven drinks and then you wake up next to Mississippi State that's basically what those two programs are is <laughs> the way the coaching searches have gone down
0: <laughs> speaking of which <laughs> jeff levy um the used <laughs> car Bobby is not
1: rid of his used car everyone yeah
0: see listen these guys clown me for it every episode and we finally finally got to talk about jeff Levy because you were trying to sell it to us like we Listen, had to say people in this buy decision. used cars buddy people still buy there's a reason they're used car you salesmen were, you were <laughs> trying to convince me to go tell mississippi state to go hire them that's right and you know what they listened so you no know, but we knew we knew jeff levy was interviewing because he shaved his neck beard um that's i think that's the first indication we got that Jeff Levy was a serious contender because he actually had to show up for meetings. um
2: Levy is like a serial Reddit user.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> That's where he gets all these RPOs from. No, but Mississippi, <laughs> the uh, the drunk stepsister of, of Texas A&M, uh, Mississippi State has managed to build an all-bad-vibes coaching staff so far. Um, oh, God. they reportedly somebody had had said that the first candidate for the defensive coordinator job is dj durkin um which is absolutely atrocious just oh,
2: hilarious off of,
0: off of bad vibes alone uh, they,
2: oh my god their fanbase clowned old miss so badly for that hire and if they hire him in return there will be nothing more funny in college football history
0: I I think if you can bring back, if you could bring in DJ Durkin and somehow have Art Bryles on the staff, you have successfully assembled the most toxic coaching staff to ever hit college football, which is impressive considering Jimbo Fisher had Steve Adazio, Bobby Petrino and DJ Durkin on the staff just last year.
1: You know what though? Steve Adazio just got let, uh, they, he just got told today that he's not being retained by Mike Elko at Texas A&M. Welcome to Mississippi State, brother. (laughs) mississippi state (laughs) offensive line coach
0: (laughs) good lord man we're this is a night like jeff levy it's a disaster jeff levy like probably will make them at least decently fun right like the offense will be productive somewhat depending on who he can get as his quarterback um defensively if it's dj durkin i i would laugh probably um but, but the good thing with Jeff Levy is that he has really invigorated that fan base. Like they have been like, you saw them carrying the athletic director on their shoulders at the airport. Like he, like he was Daenerys in game of Thrones going through the crowd. Like it was a crazy scene and has really invigorated the kind of NIL scene, which he was a big part of at Oklahoma. Um, And so in, in theory, in that aspect with Jeff Levy's offense, you, you know you could probably pull some recruits in uh, you just have to like actually nail your defensive coordinator hire because he had the luxury of having brent venables at oklahoma and he doesn't have I, brent venables at. <laughs> i
3: i i have an idea for who they can hire for dc and it won't happen because he does not want to go back to college but it would be really funny if they called Chris Kiffin up and went, hey man, do you want to be the DC? <laughs> because can you imagine an Egg Bowl? Uh, first of all, the Egg Bowl, which is going to be the most morally bankrupt Egg Bowl of all time between Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy. But uh, can you imagine if the Egg Bowl was Chris Kiffin coaching against Lane Kiffin?
0: Oh <laughs> yeah. I think Lane Kiffin sub-tweeting Jeff Levy like this whole time has been tremendous. Like I think Lane Kiffin, I think his offenses are, are a bit of a joke. I, I mean, we, the personal stance of the podcast on RPOs is, is well known by listeners at this point. You're um,
1: enemies of Wayne Kiffin, but,
0: but I gotta respect him on on Twitter. Like he has mastered the art of trolling and everything like that. It's just perfect. Like he quote tweeted a picture of Jeff Lebby like riding on his shoulders. I just thought that was so perfect. It it, it kind of just feels like this is a a hire where mississippi state fans will be really excited for like this first month or two and then come september when this offense has to go play alabama i don't i don't know their schedule i'm assuming they'll probably play bama again and and some of the the sec defenses are going to be a a little bit concerned about that
3: do they play oklahoma or texas do they get that texas i don't believe they play oklahoma okay so then they probably get the texas but like this hire is very much like hey man can you get us to seven and five those years? Because that's basically
0: the expectation. <laughs> yeah. And, and like in Mississippi state, that's fine for that. You know, like it's, if you can go ahead, Karina.
2: it's fine, but there that's a school that's there are two schools. Ole Miss and Mississippi state are very tied to each other. And the competition, the heat is so fierce. If you have your rival school winning 10 or 11 games a year, where they're going to want to match that. And obviously in the absence of Mike Leach, it's going to be a lot harder to find a coach that can even get you anywhere near that. So I don't know that seven and five goes as far at Mississippi state as it used to. And just because Ole Miss is so good. And as long as Lane Kiffin is still employed there, they're going to have heat on them. So I think, I also think that them hiring somebody on their staff, especially on the defensive side of the ball that has in-state recruiting ties to the state of Mississippi is going to make or break them. Because when they were at their best, when Dak Prescott was there, that was their bread and butter was defensive linemen. They need to go back to that. It can't be all about offense ever since Leach passed away. It has to be – you have to go back to what you do well, and that's building in the trenches.
1: Yeah, so for what it's worth, uh, Mississippi does play Texas next year um, and not Oklahoma. Um, They're also playing Toledo and Arizona State again um so whatever that's worth um i think my main thought on this mississippi state hire is just that like this was the best that you could do man like (laughs) did everyone else say no or like what happened to you like and I, i i get like the conspiracy the like maybe conspiracy about the AD and how he's going to take over the, like wants to take over the Oklahoma job. And so he's just like, Hey man, I'll take Je- Jeff, Jeff Levy off your hands uh, for a couple of years. Uh, wink, wink, give me the job when uh Castiglione retires or whatever. Um, and, you know, like obviously like athletic directors make hires that are tied to them all the time. And so like, I get it from that perspective, but like, man, there was nothing else out there that you could have done that wasn't this, like I'm not sure that like, I'm not convinced that we know that Jeff Levy is a good coach yet.
0: Yeah. For me, I think uh, if you go off of what was kind of like reported kind of behind the scenes, I think their first hire was Jamie Chadwell. I think they wanted Jamie Chadwell from the beginning and Jamie Chadwell said no, because he would rather win. A bunch of games, double-digit wins every year at Liberty because you can run the CUSA at Liberty. And he then, can make yeah, and you can he can make the the expanded playoffs. That's right. First um, is having to be one of a uh, bottom team for right now at least at Mississippi State in the SEC. It's an extremely hard job to win at versus Liberty. Like you just run kind of their offense at Liberty, kind of get their guys in repeatedly, and win the CUSA and and compete for national championships every year there. Um, I also think the same thing with Willie Fritz. Like, Willie had said he did, he wanted to retire at Tulane, but he's also been interviewing at these other jobs. Um, but it's kind of the same case for him. I think he did not want to restart in the SEC. When he's at Tulane, they're winning 10 games under him now, and he can run the table in the American, especially if Jeff Trailer leaves. Like, that American conference, all of a sudden it's you versus SMU right now. And and so now you have kind of... And, SMU's getting ready to leave. So you could really run the American. And so it's not quite the same appeal as like, oh, it's an SEC job. Why would I, you know, why would I leave? Or why would I stay here and not take that job? And now it's like, why would I leave here? So I kind of think all of their initial candidates said no. Um, And also they were all playing for championships, like conference championships, except for Jeff Levy. So at that point, when you're trying to make that hire as soon as possible, Jeff Levy was just available. Uh, But strive for more. Strive for more. (laughs) Strive for it. If it's a used car, at least make it a nice used car. You know, (laughs) don't get a Buick. Um, So speaking of, we talked about A&M. Let's go on to to Duke. We all have candidates for that Duke job. Alex, do you want to start?
1: Sure um i think my three that i have down in no particular order or like uh likelihood or anything uh the first one is fritz who we just talked about as like a guy who maybe didn't want to start over in the sec i think that he potentially might want to start over at like a lower pressure power five job like in the acc that is kind of a weaker conference you're gonna have to compete against like your clemsons and your florida states and whoever else um obviously but like He's had success at a school that has academic restrictions. Uh, Duke is one of those. Um, I think that they probably make that call, but he probably ultimately says no, I think. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily one that he would want to take. Um, We'll get to some other ones a little bit later down the line where I think that he might be a little bit more interested. Um, But I think that if you're Duke, you at least call him. Uh the second one is Jeff Munkin at Army, who is desperately trying to get out of that job. He would like to leave Army as soon as possible. Um he, and like his agent is putting in so much work, throwing his name in for every single one of these jobs. But again, a guy who's been successful at a school that has like very clear recruiting restrictions, obviously, Service Academy, like you have a very clear restriction of like, hey man, you gotta be willing to serve in the army once you're done playing um and so you know another one where duke could kind of look at it and say like this is a guy that's done well with kind of a similarly constrained resource pool he wants to leave army he wants a bigger job like he's been successful enough at army that it's probably like about that time where he should get another chance um and then my last one which is kind of a moonshot is um ohio state defensive coordinator jim Knowles. um he's kind of like the archetype of guy that duke is like kind of shot for the last couple hires the hiring cycles um obviously elko is a little bit different but like with cutcliffe and like some of these other guys where it's like you're going to be at this job for a couple of years and it's probably either your last stop or like your second to last stop um noles is an older guy he's kind of just been a defensive coordinator around he has some ties to the area if i remember right um and like you know so you probably call him up be like hey do you want to run your own program for a little while and then just like you know Take that bag and uh ride off into the sunset. Um, again, I don't know how likely it is, but I, I'd be interested in it at least. I think he kind of brings that more like physical style to to Duke that they kind of have like built their success on recently.
3: So for me, uh, I think <laughs> I would like Jim Knowles. I think he would be a great hire. Two other names I think are interesting, and this one I think is a complete long shot. Uh Bill O'Brien, who's currently the OC with the Patriots. i like, I know there's going to be hesitation on hiring bill o'brien because his last college stop didn't really work out and the offense with the patriots doesn't look good but like i can't get past the fact that he's a successful college head coach like he's proven that he can be a successful college head coach and he's coached at duke before very briefly like if you could get him to be the head coach they're like i think it probably works The other name that is probably a little bit more likely than Bill O'Brien is Alex Atkins. Who's currently the offensive line coach at Duke. Uh, He's never coached at Duke in particular, a Florida state. Who, Who did I say? You said Duke. Oh yeah. Right. So he is not at Duke and he's actually never coached at Duke, but like he's coached at Charlotte. He was successful at Charlotte. He's been really successful at FSU. And he's one of the biggest reasons why they're like currently in the hunt for a playoff spot. And, if they win against Louisville on Saturday, they're going to be in the playoffs regardless of the fact that they have a backup quarterback. Like that's impressive. Uh, I think Alex Atkins would do a great job as a head coach. And like, I feel like you would be the guy I would first call if I was the, the AD of this job. And like, I needed a guy. I just don't know if like, that's going to be the job that is his first like college head coaching job because he's never been one before. Uh, Another name that sort of probably is not going to get hired is Charles Huff who's currently at Marshall. I just don't think it's been good enough at Marshall this season. And it's been some problems.
1: Whole offensive staff.
3: Yeah. Like there's been some problems outside of his control, but like it's really bad optics to hire a dude who was really bad this year to at a G five program to be like, Hey man, do you want to go coach us at a P five program? Like, I, I just don't know if that's the, the right move.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I also wrote down Knowles. Um, he did coach at Duke. He was there from like 2011 to 2017 as a defense thinking. coordinator. Um, I also wrote down both Alex Atkins and Charles Huff just to kind of talk about Huff a little bit. But I think the name that I wrote down that I keep coming back to that I like the most is Tony Gibson, the defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach for NC state. That NC state defense is fun. They're physical. They're feisty. Those linebackers every year under him have been tremendous. Um, I think you know, he's, he's kind of like Knowles where he's a little bit older. Um, just if, if this is his last stop and he wants to run his own program in the ACC, he already has the regional ties. He's been at Michigan. He's been at Pitt. He's been at West Virginia and now he's running NC state. Like they're a f- tremendous program. Um, I, if this is his one shot, I mean, like I love the higher. like the more I wrote it down and I kept coming back to it. Like, you know what? I think if I were running, I would, I think I would go for Gibson the most.
1: There's one other name that's been on all the hotboards and stuff that have come out that I want to touch on um, mostly for one very simple reason. And that's David Shaw. Shut up, (laughs) leave, get out of here. No, no. Uh, He is washed. He does not have it.
3: I think he's also very happily retired. Like he just probably very happily retired. He's coached at Stanford for so long.
1: Yeah. Like stop that. Let that man live his life in peace.
0: (laughs) You know, it, it's it's kind of interesting how how so many of these retired coaches uh, get brought up. Um, you most re- like with Indiana bringing up like Gruden was brought up for the athletic. Um, we're not going to talk about John Gruden as a, a legitimate it's not candidate happening. for for reasons that I think if you listen to this podcast, you know by now. Uh, but we can talk about actually legitimate candidates for the Indiana job. Um, they fired. Tom Allen gave him a lot of money to just go away because he lost a bunch of games. Um, their reported hire is on the kind of coming up. Kevin, do you have any initial thoughts about Indiana, like as a program or their upcoming hire? Yeah. So, first of all, in terms of program, this is a very important hire for them because it's
3: going to prove how committed they are to building a football program because they're a basketball school in a basketball area. Are you committed to building that football program as well? Uh, The one name I would hire and like just end it here would be Jason Candle. He's coached in this area. He's done a really good job at Toledo. Players at Toledo love him. Like if you're going to hire a dude to build a football program in that area, go hire the dude who's done it, who's done it with less resources and go hire the dude and see if he can go do it at the Big Ten because like there's no really other hire. Uh, For me, like Kurt Signetti I think is a good hire. I think Jason Candle is a better hire.
1: My only thing with Candle Candle is that uh, Toledo has by far the most resources in the MAC, And so he's kind of like, I think like Candle is a good coach, I think, but he's kind of been a made man at Toledo for the last couple of years. Indiana does not have the most resources in the Big Ten by a long shot. And so I think that that is the one point where you get uh, a little bit questionable with that in terms of him moving up to a power five job. I don't think that this is necessarily the spot for him just because indiana is at such a disadvantage resource wise compared to other schools in the big 10 i do get what you're saying though kevin in terms of like he's been successful he deserves a, a more high profile job than toledo probably at this point and like most of those guys have to end up going so, to schools like indiana and stuff but like i just I, i'm not super like sold on it is all i'm saying
3: so my one thing on this would be that like for me i feel like running indiana is probably a lot like running a p5 pro or g5 program and like a good g5 program because like you're going to have to do uh, development. You're going to have to develop. You're going to have to recruit uniquely because you're not competing with Notre Dame, even like Michigan State. Like, you're not recruited. You're not competing with the schools for recruit. So, you have to get creative with how you recruit. And I think Jason Candle's done that. And so, like I think he could do it at an Indiana and be competitive, not take him to a Big Ten championship, but be competitive.
2: I was gonna uh ask what you guys think about Phil Parker for that job from Iowa. I know recruiting seems to be a concern for him, but from a talent perspective, he's done a really nice job this year. And I mean, as far as Big Ten jobs go, we might be interested.
3: I I like that idea. Uh my concern would be that like they need a recruiter, but like from the standpoint of like I think Phil Parker should win the Broyles Award for the fact that he's got that program competitive with the fact that that offense is run by like dumb, dumb and dumber. And like, I think that like, it, it, it's interesting to be like, Hey man, could you do this at Indiana and be like competitive and win seven, eight games a year? If you could hire your own staff. My concern is that like, I think they need a recruiter. They need a guy who can go in there and recruit and develop. And that's sort of something uh, as you mentioned, Karina, like I'm a little bit concerned about with Phil Parker.
1: Yeah, I think my thing with Parker too would just be that he's a little bit on the older side. He's, good. He's sixty, I think, right now. Um, I think that he's just going to kind of uh, let the ship sink with uh, Kirk Ferentz, and they're going to kind of retire at the same time, probably. And he's just like never going to be a head coach. But I do th- agree that like the job that he's done with that Iowa defense and like turning them into a team that is capable of winning the Big Ten championship because their opponents are only capable of scoring like seven points a game on them has been very impressive. And like, he, he should win the bros award. He's not going to because Sharon Moore is going to win for his interim head coaching job. Um, But in any other year, I think that Phil Parker wins. I think that it um, would definitely be like much more of a conversation if he was like, maybe like five or 10 years younger. Um, I think that it's probably just like a little bit too late for him at this point, Um, but it would be cool. It'd be fun.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm i kind of with you, Alex. I think he and Kirk Ferentz are going to just kind of ride off into the sunset together. Uh, Phil Parker has been at Iowa. Uh, he got there in 1999. That was the year I was born. So he has been there mm-hmm. for as long as I have been alive. Um, I think he and, and Ferentz are kind of just going to ride off into the sunset uh, whenever the athletic department kicks them out at this point, because I've already kicked out his son because he wouldn't do it, so the athletic director and the president stepped in. Um, but speaking of athletic director, giving somebody the boot, uh, the Houston athletic director heard Dana Holgerson's comments about his job being secure and decided to step up to the plate and prove him wrong. Um, Kevin, you kind of have some thoughts uh, on this Houston job and, and Dana? Go to Alex first, AJ. Okay, got it.
1: Um, yeah, I think Houston, um, they should hire Jeff Traylor. That's pretty much it. <laughs> they should just hire Jeff Traylor. Um, Trailer seems like he wants this job. He's interviewed for it twice. Um, he deserves a better job in Texas than UTSA. Uh, the entire state of Texas loves him. Uh, I think that he would do very well in Houston. The Big 12 looks pretty much Pretty much wide open, I would say, with Oklahoma and Texas losing. There's not a lot of good programs left in that conference. Kansas State and Kansas are have been good the last couple of years. Um, Kansas State is a little bit built to uh, be successful. Uh, well, I guess Kansas is too, as long as Lightpool doesn't leave. Um, but like, other than that, you're kind of looking at like a power vacuum in that conference. Obviously, you have the Pac-12 schools and stuff coming in. I think Utah is going to probably run that ship for a little while. Um, but bringing in Trailer at Houston, like, I think that it would work. You'd get a bunch of recruits immediately. Um, that should be the hire. If it's not the hire for some reason, the other only other two names that I have written down here, and this is kind of based on like reporting as well as like what I think would make sense. Um, Fritz, again, um, I think that he would be probably more interested in this than the Duke job. It's a little bit closer to like where he's used to regionally, um, just in terms of like he's been at Tulane for a little while, um, kind of like that more like Southeastern region of the country. Um, I think that he would do well there um, running a bigger program, but not like a much bigger program than Tulane is. Obviously, like Houston was just in the American last year. Uh, and so they, while they are a big 12 program now, I think that there's still a lot of similarities in the way that that program is run. Um, and then the only other one is uh, Barry Odom has gotten brought up a lot for this job, the UNLV uh, coach. Um, I'm not really sure why. But he has gotten brought up a ton, and uh, it's it's like the reporting is that like those are the three guys from what I've seen. Um, why you would do the Barry Odom thing, don't really know. But you don't know if he's been good this year, I guess. So sure, but at that point, don't do that. Just do something else.
0: What do you make of the? Uh, what do you guys make of the rumor that Cliff Kingsbury? was involved stop. in the job search stop
3: <laughs> i think i i think they called him and cliff kingsbury is in thailand or wherever he was during the offseason going nope don't want this one just gotta I think kingsbury thailand. is
1: busy uh prepping to be the interim head coach for the usc ball game
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah he's he's getting ready to usurp the reins from lincoln riley when lincoln riley just decides to bolt For to coach the Los Angeles Chargers.
3: Also, if Kingsbury Cliff Kingsbury gets another job, he should give his entire salary to Patrick Mahomes because he's the only reason why he still
0: has a job in football. (laughs) Yeah, and and to your point with Alex with Jeff Trailer, like, every Texas high school coach wanted him to be the Texas A and M coach. That they all were like, we will send kids to Texas A and M if he is the head coach. Did you guys
1: see? the rumor about why the board didn't want trailer at Texas A&M? No, send it. I have no idea if this is true or not, but apparently the rumor is that Jeff Trailer's son was a walk on at A&M when someone was there. And apparently his son would leak a bunch of information to Texas high school coaches about how uh, someone had um, off the field problems. Um, mostly just like he was drinking too much. Um, to get recruits to go play for his dad when Trailer was an... Ass- I think he was an assistant at Texas or something. I love and that. And so the Texas A&M board since then has been like, we hate Jeff Trailer, We're never hiring that guy. I have no idea if that's true or not. I, I love it. it I was love it. For the show I hope and it is. I'm to believe that it's true. I, I, I love it. I hope it's true.
3: Uh, in, terms of, in terms of Houston, I don't... Like, I think I agree with Trailer and Fritz is like the best candidates. I would say the one guy they need to keep on staff, without a doubt, If it's DC, if it's head coach, if it's D line coach, keep Brian Early, their current D line coach, somewhere there. Players love him. He's developed NFL talents. He's still developing NFL talents. And if if you're going to make a hire, I don't care if it's Trailer Fritz, Odom, Cliff Kingsbury, the 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 son of God or whatever. Like I don't really care. But like Brian Early needs to be on staff uh, because he has developed players into nfl players into usable college players like that is the right hire uh in terms of like keeping a guy on staff because you should reward players who do really good or coaches who do
0: really good jobs yeah no i think the you know their defensive line has been tremendous every, every year you know the ed uh peyton turner nelson caesar all those guys always at the top of the uh sack numbers every single year and now like you're in the big 12 you have to maintain that especially when you're going to be playing teams that teams that could score points especially when you're playing kansas state and kansas utah like you have to match that physicality and be able to bring that that havoc up front so i think keeping him around and the players seem to want him as well kind of to your point kevin as well um so i think we kind of have with with trailer i think that's kind of the unanimous. Um, kind of pick here, but we do have another coach that has actually been filled. Syracuse has hired Fran Brown at the Georgia defensive backs coach to be their new head coach. He's a New Jersey native, uh, was there at Temple and at Rutgers, and has taken the Georgia defensive back room. Uh, Alex and I have have sparred a little bit off screen over this hire, so I'll let Alex kind of go first on Fran Brown.
1: Yeah, so my thing here is that um, I don't mind the hire necessarily. Um, it's another one where kind of like, uh, we when we talked about like Bray at Oregon State, like I kind of want to see how the staff fills out before I like truly form an opinion about it. My thing about this at first glance, though, is that I don't really, I'm not convinced that it's going to work. Um, and the only reason I say that is because friend Brown is known primarily as a recruiter. As far as I'm aware, obviously he's done a really good job developing that Georgia DB room as well. Um, but he's primarily been known as a recruiter for most of his career. And you're not going to win at Syracuse by out recruiting people. That's just not because you're not going to out recruit people. You're Syracuse. You're a basketball school in Western New York that, uh, you know like you're not in a super talent rich area like the closest center of talent to you is pennsylvania and you're not going to beat penn state and you're probably not going to beat Pitt for those recruits uh i have a hard time seeing the path towards like assembling top 20 25 30 recruiting classes every year to like up the talent at that program to turn it into like something that is sustainable under Brown versus, like, hiring a, like, program builder type coach um, or, like, a, you know, just, like, a straight out, like, ball coach, like, scheme guy that's just going to, like, do some insane stuff to keep Syracuse re- relevant, which is kind of like what they did when they hired Babers, where it was just, like, we're going to hire this high-flying offensive guy and, like, we're going to score a ton of points and we'll worry about everything else later. Um And so I'm not 100% sold on it. I think that there's a path towards it working, um, but it's going to require, I think, Syracuse really like dipping into some of those ACC rival areas like Virginia and getting some of those guys that slip through the cracks in Pennsylvania and like probably dipping into like Ohio and like the Kentucky area that we talked about earlier where like Kentucky is already having a hard time getting those guys. Um, in order to make this something like is successful long-term. I'm just like not sold on like the idea of hiring a recruiter at Syracuse. To me, I think that the best part about Fran
0: Brown is that he's both a recruiter and a developer everywhere he's really gone, especially at Temple. I mean, Temple has not had a guy drafted since Fran Brown left. Um, So I think that that kind of development is important, uh, especially when you're at Syracuse. Now granted, Syracuse has done a really good job under Babbers of producing NFL guys but I think if you could do it consistently to the level that Fran Brown could I, I I'm a little bit more sold on the hire just because he's a young it's a fresh recruiter like he has ties to the area all of that kind of appeals to me uh personally but I am kind of with you on he does need to like who is his staff going to be because he is only I believe 40 years old he doesn't have a lot of like connections to a lot of like super high you know, flying offensive coordinators he's not going to be able to pull any position coaches from Georgia because who would leave Georgia right now unless they're going to get like a, a huge, huge gig somewhere else at like a, a major Power 5 school. Um, so I'm kind of with you. I would like to see what his staff uh, inevitably looks like first. But I think just from a like a, a vibe standpoint, I think Fran Brown is kind of a really cool hire. And uh, it could have been Dan Mullen reportedly. So <laughs> I kind of would take Fran Brown over that.
2: Yeah, I kind of was thinking about what the interview process might have been like for him. And if you think recruiting is going to be an issue because of the competition and the lack of talent in the area that Syracuse is located in, I think pulling someone from Georgia, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is actually a really smart move because you hope that he'll make up for it with scheme, right? And especially the style that Georgia plays, where if it's well-coached, sometimes you can cover up some of those blemishes. So if you're, you learn a lot within Cur- the way Kirby Smart runs a program, not just from a recruiting perspective, but from a talent development and scheme- schematic perspective. I could see a situation where he wowed in an interview with those things, right? Where it's, you know him as this, but then you sit him down in a room. It's like, oh, wow, he actually has some really good ideas. So I'm interested to see how much, of these Georgia coaches that do get hired to be head coaches, take some of the stuff that Kirby Smart does well, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and translates it into other conferences where you don't have Georgia's levels of talent.
3: For me, this the problem with this hire for me is that like Syracuse's location basically makes it Canada, and it is like secluded from most other colleges around. Canada is a
1: good recruiting area,
3: sure, uh, but like. I think that like Syracuse is not a school where you can go try and do the Georgia or go try and do even like the temple, because this is an area that is secluded pretty much. And like, for me, I would have liked to see them go and hire a dude who's built college football programs. Like even if it's an FCS coach, I know that like Bob Chesney from Holy Cross got at least an interview for the job i believe but like i think that he would have been a good hire because you need to do you need a guy who has developed and built a college football program because it is challenging to build a college football program it is even more challenging to go build a college football program in syracuse uh and like if you have a guy who's done it with less resources like at an fcs school i think that would that would make sense um i i i i get it like you hire the dude with new jersey ties ties to the area but this is not a school in new york this is basically a school in in canada
0: speaking of kind of moving away from syracuse going to a program that has hired a program builder with less resources oh Alex.
1: Oh no uh, once you finish the intro i want to okay. talk about- no uh
0: Sean Lewis has now been named the head coach at San Diego State. Uh, they're trying to get rid of the Brady Hoke stink. They're going to actually try and score points at San Diego State for the first time since maybe I've been alive. Uh, Alex, you have some initial thoughts from being from the area and Sean Lewis.
1: Yeah, so the, the first thing I want to say is um, to that one guy that got mad at us for for doing the SDSU opening very, very briefly because we forgot to put it on the show notes when it opened. Uh, sorry. We were not familiar with SDSU's game. Uh, I don't remember that guy's name, but shout out to you. I hope you're still listening to the show because you said you enjoyed it. Um, I hope you're still here. We messed that up. I did not think that SDSU had the goods to pull something like this off. I thought that Sean Lewis was going to get a P5 job, to be quite honest with you. And the fact that he took the SDSU job, I think, is very indicative of the fact that SDSU sees themselves as a P5 program. Um, they've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes to get themselves ready to make a jump to a P5 program for years. Um, they've been upgrading all of their facilities at the university to try to get to R1 status, which is, um, basically like the tier of research university that all the PAC-12 schools are in. It's, uh, kind of an, been an unofficial requirement for, uh, admission into the PAC-12, um, which doesn't exist now. So they're kind of like thrown out, thrown for a loop there. They just built a new stadium that holds 50,000 people in it. They're pouring a ton of money into that, that athletic department. And I think that, that all of that is very evident by the fact that they went out and they made a, a splashy hire like this. I love this. I think that Lewis is going to do a great job here. He was super successful at Kent State with like basically no resources as a head coach there. SDSU is going to give him whatever he needs to be successful. And he is a program builder. He is like the perfect bridge to not only bring you into this new era where you have all of this new money coming in, you have all of this new exposure, but also like to kind of distance yourself from the way that the Brady Hook era ended with all of the kind of like off field scandal, scandal adjacent stuff that was going on with that job. I think that this is a home run for for SDSU.
3: I agree on home run. Uh, This is very, for me, and this is not like a a one-for-one comparison. This is very similar to FAU somehow being able to hire Tom Herman. Because this is, Tom Herman was in cahoots with like Colorado last year and had P5 interest and chose FAU. And so like when I was covering the FAU coaching search, I was like, yeah, they're not going to be able to get Tom Herman because Tom Herman's going to go P5 this is San Diego state stealing a guy who was probably, probably got P five interest. Like I believe he was probably at least considered for Syracuse and considered for some of these other jobs. I think the biggest thing for me is like, this is going to sell tickets. You're going yeah. to get people in the crowd, in the stands to watch this team now. Like, and that's the biggest thing is like, if you're trying to position yourself to be in the plans for the next pack, 12, whatever that looks like, if it's pack, 12 Pac eight, the Mountain West merger, whatever it is, like you need to be able to sell tickets. You need to be able to win. And Sean Lewis, I will say this right now, is going to do both of those things at San Diego State.
0: Yeah, and Sean Lewis was getting like fun, exciting players at Kent State in the middle of Ohio. Like that is, that's hard to do. They, They are horrible in terms of just resources. Like the athletic director has come out and said like, it's impossible for us to win here. Like all, all these issues, like Sean Lewis's biggest appeal was like he would play recruit uh, recruits in Madden. Like he would just do that in his office and people were like, this is sick. I love this. And so now you put him in California with a lot of money and just say, just go do something like go, go have fun. And I think that's such a, it's such an inspired hire for San Diego state. Cause I don't think any of us really expected it out of San Diego state. Uh, It was really kind of a a higher, I think, that in the long term, we're going to look back on and go, "Okay, yeah, you know what? San Diego State just absolutely killed it, knocked it out of the park. They're going to compete in the Mountain West soon. It may be this year. It may not be this year, but it will certainly be next year. The offense is going to be a complete 180.
1: Yeah, I will say, too, and this is kind of the last thing that we need to say about the SDSU job, I think. San Diego, as an area, is a really underrated recruiting area. Like, they produce a lot of, like, low to mid three-star talent, but a lot of those guys end up developing into, like, legit NFL players. Like, the Thomas brothers, Cam Thomas and Zach Thomas. Zach is on the Rams now. Cameron is on the Cardinals. Chris Olave was a three-star that came out of that area. Like, San Diego has the recruits if you know where to look. Um, And Sean Lewis has proven that he knows where to look. I think that this is going to be something where, like, he could build the entire ship just out of, like, kids from within an hour and a half of san diego and they could still compete in the mountain west like this is it's gonna rock
0: yeah we're gonna keep it in the in the mountain west uh new mexico has fired danny gonzalez as their head coach um and they've kind of letting go of, of brian vinson they've already been some guys have been hitting the portal um i know we all have some initial thoughts on it uh I, I'll, I I kind of go first. There was Gary Patterson brought up was for the job, but it doesn't sound like he is uh, going to be the higher. I initially thought that they should just promote Bryant Vinson, but he is apparently also being let go. So beyond that, I genuinely have no idea where New Mexico can really go. Um, Alex or Kevin, like where, where in the world could New Mexico even try to be relevant with here?
3: There's one answer. Uh, Brian Vincent is on your staff. Just make this the hire. Let's go figure this out. Brian Vincent was so, like, the UAB players wanted him so much that they wrote a letter to the AD, like, basically saying, like, if you don't hire, we may very well revolt. And, like, uh, Brian Vincent's a good coach. Like, if, if you're going to make a hire to go try and be competitive with your direct rival New Mexico State, having what 10 wins in conference USA this year, like just go do Brian Vincent. Don't, don't make this complicated. They're going to try and make this complicated. It should be Brian Vincent or like Brian Harson. I think if you can maybe get Brian Harson in there, that's a good hire. But I, again, I think that he's probably still like a candidate for the Boise state job.
1: Yeah. My two um, that haven't been mentioned here, Bronco Mendenhall, I think will be in the mix here. He very clearly wants to get back into coaching. His agent is out there. Uh, putting his name out for every single job that's come open he very clearly wants to get back out he's a west coast guy by trade obviously like spent his like last couple years as a coach in virginia but like that was a very big departure for him from like his ties um so i think that he'll be a candidate here um kind of in a similar vein to like the jerry Keel hire at new mexico state so like if you look across town and you go hey that's working for them i think that bronco Mendenhall hall makes a lot of sense and then the other one that i have down is matt wells um is it Matt Wells? Yeah. Um, the former Utah state coach, um, he, I think is also out of coaching right now this season. Um, he's is currently an
0: analyst for Oklahoma right now. Oh, well, he's on the, he's on the offensive staff.
1: Yeah. But, um, he's a guy that, uh, I think was at New Mexico previously, um, has like ties to that area. He like knows how to win in that area. Um, and so I think that he's someone that you can look into a guy that was like successful in the mountain West has been around, knows the area um, really like all you need for that sort of job. Um, so I think he's someone to keep in mind as well.
0: Speaking of, of kind of looking for regional ties and guys for extremely difficult jobs to win at um, Louisiana Monroe has fired Terry Bowden. That is one of the most difficult programs to win at at the collegiate level we have a couple of guys that have kind of been come out for the job but so far the search is still going uh, strong i think alex and i are the only two that have like really invested any sort of time into this so uh i think my first candidate for this would be joe sloan he's the lsu quarterbacks coach he was louisiana tech's offensive coordinator for the last few years uh, prior to that um so i think really that job. He's a Louisiana kid, fun offensive mind. Louisiana Monroe has to do something to be exciting, to have some sort of appeal to fans. You have to recruit to that area. And Joe Sloan has just been like that guy his entire career.
1: Yeah. My two names here are uh, Vincent, who we just talked about for the New Mexico opening. If New Mexico doesn't retain him, which is like AJ mentioned, seems likely, but it's kind of still up in the air as of right now. I think that he'd be a good candidate here. The other one that I have down is Tim Rattay, who is the quarterbacks coach at Oklahoma State. Um, He has done a really good job, especially this season, kind of turning Alan Bowman around. Um, Bowman has always been a talented kid, but like injuries really kind of like derailed his career for a little while. But like he played really well for Oklahoma State this season. I think Rattay's done a good job in that job. He played at Louisiana Tech. um, So he has ties to the area, um, is someone that I think like hiring a guy directly from a position coach to be a head coach in college football is much less rare than it is in other areas of the sport, especially for G five jobs. Like hiring a P five position coach to be a G five head coach happens pretty frequently. So I don't think there's any concern about like the magnitude of the jump there. Um, But, you know, I think that that's a name to keep an eye on it's you all Monroe. And so like, it's impossible to win there. It doesn't, it's not really going to matter. But, um, you know, we can still have fun with it.
0: They need they need something to kind of invigorate the fan base. And like, I think that's the bottom yeah. line of, like, why I like Sloan so much is it's, he's a young guy. Uh, he's he's from, from the area. He's proven to be a development. And, like, if you can get at least a, a, an exciting offense at Louisiana Monroe, I kind of think that you have to take it. Um, but speaking of, of kind of invigorating the fan base, this uh, middle Tennessee State fired stock still after him being there since 2006 i believe um and the fans rejoiced online if you've paid attention to the reactions they were all very very positive everybody wanted to him to go
1: and you so what i think the fan base is uh, that time they beat miami yeah
0: <laughs> i was i was gonna bring that up i'm glad you brought it up first um middle tennessee state is, is now open Is now open, Kevin. You are intimately familiar with how good this Middle Tennessee State program could be as a football team. Uh, What are your initial thoughts uh, on this opening?
3: They finally fired their Kirk Ferentz, uh, nepo baby, and all. Uh, But like, I think that this is a job that is intriguing to me because it is so close to Nashville. It is a recruiting area. Like Tennessee is really like a good recruiting area it's not amazing but it's good uh few names that stand out to me glenn ellerby who's currently the offensive line coach at tennessee uh he has a guy committed uh in i believe the 2024 class of the 2023 class from middle tennessee state consolidated like he's recruiting that area already um was with hypo at ucf like he's a very good coach people i believe that he's an incredibly good coach. Like I think he makes sense. One other name that is very interesting to me is Will Healy. Will Healy is, you know, coached at Charlotte. Uh that's a job that like Charlotte is kind of like Middle Tennessee in the state of like the facilities are not amazing. You gotta find a way to win there. Um and the facilities aren't great at Middle Tennessee. One other name and I'm gonna say this and you guys are gonna laugh me off of this stage when I say it and I know it's gonna get takes jeff fisher who I hate was, was was at tennessee state i believe He's as an so... advisor for for eddie george he is currently i believe coaching like the xfl or the usfl or one of these other leagues that like don't actually exist um i i don't think it'll happen i i think it is an interesting name to throw around uh i i don't think it happens i think they probably end up hiring a guy who is currently coaching somewhere, or like coached somewhere as recently as last year, but like, I think it's a fun little name to, to sprinkle in there. Kind of the Jeff Fisher. You, just, fish you hire. just had
0: to bring up Jeff yeah. Fisher because I I brought up Miami. You just had to give me yeah. my little yeah. flashback moment. A- exactly, exactly. Seven exactly. and nine. This
1: is- Jeff Fisher, for what it's worth, is currently the chief advisor of something called the Nashville Cats, which is <laughs> an Arena Football League team. This is this is my uh this th- this was my bullet in the
3: chamber for you, AJ, of like if you mentioned Miami, I was going to bring this up, and well, unfortunately, you mentioned Miami, so uh, you know, just Should had to have
0: lost of middle Tennessee
3: state <laughs> scoreboard. I
0: hate to hate to break it to you. <laughs> not, so
3: last year, not only did Miami lose to Middle Tennessee, but FAU also did, which is why they weren't bowl eligible. So that little program in Stockstill was like pulling the puppet strings on my entire on, on my entire uh journey last year. So
1: yeah. Kevin has been personally freed by the shackles of Rick Stockston. <laughs> when when
3: and, w- when he got hired, I was considering throwing a parade at the streets. I would be the only man in that parade, but I was considering doing it because it was the greatest day of my life.
1: The only other name I have here is uh Scotty Walden, the coach at Austin P. Um, he's done a great job at uh at Austin P. I think um they are a playoff team in the FCS. I think they just lost in the first round on that game winning kick to Chattanooga. Is that the right game that I'm thinking of? Um I think so, but regardless, he's done a great job uh at that uh job. Austin P is in Tennessee, I think. Um and so like obviously is uh solid there and uh for a G5 program that really has like nothing else going for it and is really just like trying to drag themselves out of the stone age of Rick Stockstill, I think that like hiring a young up and coming guy from the FCS ranks uh, makes a lot of sense. Also, I looked it up. They, they were the ones that lost Chattanooga on that game winning field goal. So they're out of the playoffs. So he's available.
0: Yeah. Like we talk about a fan base, putting fans in the seats, like a young offensive mind, like Scotty Walden, his offenses have been tremendous every year at Austin P uh, and you, it, they are in Tennessee, uh, so it's it's about an hour, I believe, distance-wise, from Austin P to Middle Tennessee State. So he he is available and he and he is local. Um, I just I think that that's kind of the the smartest hire you could make. We'll see. A lot of people, uh, fans online, are skeptical of the athletic director, but we have one final uh, group of five job to get to before we wrap up. The last job that is open, uh, UTEP fired Dan Ademol for the first time it like they needed to happen The season this year was was a nightmare. So many quarterback injuries. Uh, Kevin, was that your initial thought? Yeah.
3: I just want to say that like for UTEP, this is a job that is going to be difficult because I don't like that people say it's Texas. It is not Texas. It may as well be New Mexico. Uh, I believe it is closer to New Mexico than it is to any major city in Texas. And uh, like for a job in college football, They kind of see, I think, probably what happened at New Mexico State. Like, New Mexico State won 10 games in that same conference that UTEP is in. So there is a potential to win here. You just have to get creative. Uh, I just, like, for me, it's like this is a job that you're going to have to be damn near perfect at to be competitive, I think, because it's a job that is so far behind other schools in terms of facilities, in terms of area Like, you are basically playing with a hand tied behind your back. And for a college football coach, like, I feel like it's a little bit challenging to convince a college football coach to be like, hey, come become the head coach of this program while we tie a hand behind your back and make it incredibly difficult. Good luck, though. Like, I, it'll be challenging. You can win here, but it's not Texas. I see a lot of people going, there, it's Texas. You can win in Texas it's not Texas. It has never been Texas. Like it is New Mexico, but close enough to Texas that we just have to call it Texas.
0: Yeah. I kind of think this is a, uh, it's like you said, it's such a difficult program to win at just in terms of like it regional ties when you're way out there is, it's hard to really recruit and bring in guys. To me, UTEP has to do something innovative to really stand out, right? Like you have to do something off the walls, whether that's a remarkable developer or you just go with the scheme guy. And I think the best scheme guy you could get right now is MacLeff, which he's the offensive coordinator at Texas State. He played there. Um, he's just 29 years old. Uh, I I just I think that when you look at terms of, like they just need something to inject a lot of momentum into the program right now with everything kind of it, it's struggling. It, it really is such a, a difficult program to sustain any momentum at. And so I really just think that adding a young guy like that into who's already played there, he knows the culture, uh, he's he's part of one of the best offenses in college football this year and last year. So I, I just kind of – I think that's the best step UTEP can take right now just because you're not going to be able to pull some of these other guys at, at the, into that program because it is kind of destitute. The one name to me that's interesting is
3: – Emmett Jones, who's currently at Oklahoma, I feel like that is a Jeff trailer like hire in the sense of he was a high school coach in Texas. He coached at a lot of the Texas program or at Texas Tech. I don't think he coached at any of the Texas programs, but like he's coached in that area for a long time. I think there's some sort of interest of like if you're going to try and make this a job, kind of like Texas, uh, you know, like you're tr- gonna try and recruit in Texas, then maybe that's the way to go of like getting a high school coach who coached in Texas, but it's just so challenging because this isn't really Texas. And that's all I keep going back to. I think it's like 10 minutes away from the border to New Mexico. Like it's just not Texas.
1: Yeah. So my name's here. Um The first one, which I think is probably the least likely of the three is Jeff Banks, um, the Texas special teams coordinator who gets linked to basically every G5 job that opens in Texas, Um, again UTEP not really Texas but um, you know it's technically in Texas and so he's going to be a name that gets brought up Um, Jason Eck also at Idaho is um, one to keep an eye on I think for this one him and the athletic director at UTEP whose name escapes me right now Center I think Jason Center that sounds right Um, Center was at Idaho for a long time him and Eck go way back Um, Eck I think we've talked about like the challenges of winning at this job because it's in the middle of nowhere. And like, you have a lot of like constraints placed on you that Idaho, man, the university of Idaho, isn't even in Boise. It's in Moscow. (laughs) Like, like he knows all about this. Um, I think that like, if you want to connect the dots and you want to talk about a guy that can win in a very difficult job like that, Eck makes a lot of sense. I think that, He's a name that should get a lot more heat for some of these bigger, quote, unquote, bigger, but like G5 jobs, like moving up from the FCS. Um, the name that has been kind of floated as like the early favorite by local media that I've seen, though, is Brennan Marion, the UNLV offensive coordinator, which is surprising to me because I think that he would want something bigger than this. But apparently he's the one that has reached out and said that he's interested, which which does not surprise me because he reaches out and says that he's interested in every job that's open. He's out there on indeed applying to every job. (laughs) Like he's, he's going crazy. Um, But you know, like you want to talk about young, exciting, like put fans in the seats. Brandon Marion is that guy. Um, You know, he's a really charismatic guy. He's a great recruiter. He has a fun offense to lean on, like fits all of those archetypes there. And so like, I don't think it would necessarily be the worst hire for them. I think that Eck is probably a smarter hire, but I wouldn't necessarily have any problems with Marion. I just think that he probably has his set set higher than this.
0: Yeah, and for Marion, like like you said, he has he's been involved in pretty much every job. Um, it would be kind of fun to see the go-go just to kind of see what he could do maybe in year two or year three of of building a program and into like his vision of what he wants, but That'll be it for this episode, folks. Um, sorry for the uh, short crew, but round of applause for Karina for making her episode debut. Uh, short crew tonight, but don't forget to rate us five stars. I hope we talked enough about your favorite teams. If we didn't, too bad. Uh, rate, rate us five stars and share with your friends. We will see you next time on Sorry, No podcast today.